All right, if you would, grab your Bibles and let's open the Word of God to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll look together at what God has for us tonight. All right, Ephesians 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. Once you found your place, would you stand with us for the reading of God's Word? And we'll have prayer and begin reading in Ephesians 4, verse 1. Let's pray together. Father, how we love you for today and how we thank you for your Word. And Lord, we do pray that you'll just stir our hearts this evening. Lord, that you'll just teach us from the Bible again, dear Holy Spirit. We pray you just uh, take the Word tonight and apply it to our lives. Lord, give it meaning by making it personal. Show us what you'd have us do and the things that you'd have us to remember to go away with, Lord, tonight. Bless us, equip us, Lord. Instruct us, guide us tonight. Be our teacher and guide through the scriptures. And Lord, I pray you just shine your light, the light of your word, into our lives that we might know exactly what you'd have us do uh, as we leave tonight, how we might apply this, what we learn, to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ephesians 4, verse 1, the Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that's a, a lot said there. I want you to call your attention back to verse 1. Where Paul said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And I want to speak on that thought tonight, being called of God. I want to, I want to preach on the, on the subject of living up to your name. Living up to your name. Thank you. you may be seated. This is a great passage. Uh, we talk about the Christian's calling. Often in, in modern Christianity, when we think of calling... We think of uh, vocational ministry. We think of pastors and missionaries and evangelists. And we think of singers like Brother Druitt that was here today. Well, God's called them, right? They had some special experience like Moses at the burning bush, you know. And, and, uh, and those are special people that God wants to use. But the truth is God wants to use all of us in some special way. God has a purpose and, and a meaning for our life. God has ministries for us to serve in. That's why he gives us gifts and talents and abilities. And, and we're all called. We're all called to live the Christian life. We're all called to serve the Savior. We're all called to, to lay our lives down, take up our cross, and follow him wherever he might lead us. So we all have a calling. I was thinking about this word called. We think of the word called in the sense of a calling like that, but we also think about the, the, the word called in the sense of our name, what we're called. And so I want to take that vein, if I can, tonight, and, and just I want to look in the Word of God, and I want, I want us to be reminded tonight of what God calls us and what He thinks of us and what He expects of us. Sometimes we, we fail to consider that. You know, the Bible says a lot about those who are called. What are we called tonight? We're going to talk about that. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And 
you know, you think about the power of that verse. New life in Christ is what it really means. But you know, that verse has not only theological, but it has very practical implications as well. There should be a difference in our life. Things should feel and look differently than they did before we met Christ. Romans chapter 8. Well, we know verse 28, right? Let's just turn over there. Look at verse 29. These two verses really have a similar theme. Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about our new life in Christ and how there's supposed to be, it's supposed to be different, right? It's no longer us serving us, but now it's us serving Him. And notice in Romans chapter 8, we all know, of course, verse 28 that says, All things work together for good to them who are the called according to His purpose. But look at verse 29. It says, For whom He did foreknow, He did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We're the brethren. So the Bible says there, those who are called according to his purpose, those who are saved, it says in verse 29, he foreknew them. He didn't forechoose them. He said he foreknew them. And, And what did he predestinate? That they would be conformed to the image of his son. That's, that's not salvation. That's sanctification. So the Bible says that God had predetermined before the world began that those who come to Christ in faith in in Christ Jesus, who are saved, that God had determined that he was going to do a work in their life to conform them to the image of his son. He was going to make them like Christ. And, And through what the Bible describes the Christian life to be, we're going to see how a little bit of God's work in that way. So I want us to think about that. How do you participate? In that work, verse 29, of being conformed to the image of His Son. Are you participating with God in that? Are you cooperating with that process? And and how do you do that tonight? Well, don't you think that it can be that we can participate in the work that God's doing in our life in one way by living up to what He's called us to be? So let's look at those names tonight. What has God called us to be? Look at the next chapter. We're in Ephesians 4. So go to Ephesians 5, if you would, and look at verse 1. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh what? Wow. Hey, we're not even in New Orleans. (laughs) You need to circle that word. Saints. If you know in this passage right here, he's talking about us. Those who are the brethren, those who are saved, those who are believers, what are, God calls us saints. Hey, you know, there's a lot of people in this world that have it in their mind that, that a saint is some high and lofty person. You know, the ones that are closest to perfect, those are saints. Or maybe they would say saints are the ones who, like, like this missionary brother, saints are the ones maybe who died in the Lord's service somewhere who just gave the ultimate sacrifice for Jesus' sake. That's a saint. A saint is someone who who maybe give their whole life, uh, you know, to to, uh, some kind of a benevolent work, and they've accomplished a great deal of things, a long list of victories, you know, in their lifetime of self-sacrifice. 
saints. No, that's not who God's talking about. God's talking about those that have come to faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Before we do anything, God calls us saints. Think about that. Look what it says. Among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. In this passage, Paul is already saying that we who are the saints of God should be living like saints. He's already suggesting, by the way, the same author of Romans 8.29 is now writing Ephesians 5, verse 3, and he's telling us here that we should live up to the name that God has called us to, this term of being saints. So what is a saint? Being a saint, if you look it up in the dictionary, it refers to a distinct quality of life. A distinct quality of life. Think about that. I want to ask you tonight, as a believer, as a Christian, does your life fit that description? Do you have a distinct quality of life as a believer? Whether you do or not, you should. That's the point of this message. And you know, often we fall short, but tonight's message is to encourage us to step up and stand up and be what God has called us to be. God has given us what we need to succeed. God has given us what we need to have victory in this world. And so what we need to do is claim it. We need to step up and we need to, we need to understand that God's given us the victory and we need to give our effort to being what God has called us to be. And here's one idea of what it is. Being a saint, having a distinct quality of life that includes and reflects Christ, being a saint. Notice the Bible says that we're declared to be saints in our position. I want to show you this. This is a little bit theological, all right? But let's look at it in the Scriptures. Turn to uh, Romans chapter 1. We were just in chapter 8 a moment ago. But look at Romans chapter 1. The Bible says in Romans 1, verse 17... It says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. All right? So, so here, <clears throat> excuse me, here we are seeing that um, we are declared to be saints in our position. All right? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2 says, Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> if you're not looking this up, you probably should write it down or look it up. But it says, called to be saints. With all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. You know, there are times when you and I may not feel like a saint. And there are times when we may not act like a saint. But God has declared in His Word... That when we accepted Christ as our Savior, He cleansed us of our sins, past, present, and future, robed us in the righteousness of Christ, and declared us to be a saint. Wow, isn't that powerful? And that is what God sees us to be. When He looks at us, He doesn't see our failures. He doesn't see our sins. 
He sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, who died for us on the cross. Saints. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, that we're called to be saints. If God has declared us to be saints and called us to be saints, then you need to mark it down. You can be one. We just need to live like saints. We need to act like saints. We, we need to make choices like saints. We need to do the work of saints. Let's live up to our calling. How about Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3? We read it a moment ago. It says, But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be once among you as becometh saints. Notice that word becometh in our, in our passage of Scripture there. The word becometh saints. He's, he's, saying, he's saying live a life and, and, and choose the actions that are becoming of who you are. So that when people look at your life, it lines up with the name God gave you of being a saint. When people see you, do they think of a saint or a Christian or a believer? Would they be surprised if someone from church came down to where you work and said, oh yeah, he's a believer, hey, we go to church together. Would they be surprised to hear that or not? Those are the kind of practical implications we're talking about tonight. So we can either live up to our name. God has called us to be saints. He has declared us to be saints in our position with Christ. But not only that, we're called to be saints in our practice. We're called to be saints in our practice. And that's what, that's what second, uh, was it 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2? 1 Corinthians 1, 2 and Ephesians 5, 3 really both support that aspect that God is calling us in our practice to live like saints now that he has declared us to be that. So living up to your name, the name of saint, how are we doing? Living up to your name. Hey, tonight we need to go from this place realizing that Christ has made us saintly in our appearance before him. And so we need to remember that when we go through this life, we need to do the things that are complementary or becoming of a saintly person. So that that life shines forth in our testimony. But not only saints, the Bible doesn't, that's not the only name that God gave to us. Hey, if we stopped right there tonight, we could all say, praise God, we're not worthy. Look what God gave us. He called us saints. And by the way, he didn't just call us, he equipped us. And I like what Brother Drew had said this morning, that, that more and more he finds himself just being thankful for the word of God. Why? Because the Word of God is how we communicate with the Lord. It's what keeps us close to Him. But not only that, the Word of God is what God uses to equip us to do His work. None of us tonight can say, I don't have what it takes to be what God called me to be. We do have what it takes. It's right here. This work can do in you what is necessary so that you have what it takes to do what God called you to do. L let me show you that. Go, go to, um, let's see, I think, it's, I think it's 2 Timothy. Let's go over there. 2 Timothy. <clears throat> this, is, uh, this is bonus right here, all right? This is not even in my notes. But notice the, what the Bible says. In, let's read verse, um, let's see. Go back to verse 14. Paul's writing to Timothy, 
And he says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And then he says, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. In verse 16, he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Hey, so the word of God is profitable in so many ways to help us be what God has called us to be. But that's not, all that's good, but that's not, that's not the point I want to make. Look at the next verse. Verse 17 says, the word of God is profitable, that the man of God may be perfect, truly what? Furnished unto all good works. He didn't say some good works. He said all good works. God is going to furnish you to do his will through this book right here. Hey, did you know that's why we preach from the Bible? That's why I try to saturate my sermons with the word of God. Because I know that what God had to say to you is more beneficial than what I could ever say to you. We need to be saturated as believers with the word of God. Did you know that's why we teach the Christian habit of reading your Bible? That's why we say we should, you should read it every day. You should read it regularly. You should read it all the way through. Uh, read it through in a year or two years, how long it takes. Why do you think we encourage you to do that? To memorize, to take notes, to meditate on it. Because it's the word of God that's going to furnish you to do God's work in your life. And you know what? If God has called you and cleansed you as a Christian, God named you to be a saint and then and gave you gifts and talents to use for him, and God wants you to serve him in some way, look, if you don't do that, you are never going to find fulfillment in the Christian life. You're going to be empty and you're going to be searching. You're going to be lost and lonely until you find what and figure out what God wants you to do. And how do you figure it out? How do you find it? Right here. It's in his word. Now, I wish there was a page, you know, that said, live on this street address and marry this person and go to work over here and, you know, all of that. It's, it's just, well, it's not that plain, is it? It's not that clear. God did it in such a way that we have to dig for it. We have to search for it. It's like, it's like trying to find gold. You know, you don't just go gold prospecting and it fall in your pocket. Right? It doesn't happen like that. You gotta you gotta dig for it, and you gotta pan for it, you gotta mine for it, you gotta hunt for that stuff. But oh, when you find it, it sure is worth it, isn't it? We live in Arkansas for a little while and they have a state park over there where the public can just show up and you can walk in there and you can do a little mining and panning for diamonds. And every once in a while, you know, you get the big news. Woo! Somebody came in here and found this magnificent diamond. Well, they're walking away with some change in their pocket. <laughs> or the potential for there to be. Why? Because they found a diamond. Hey, can I tell you something? There are diamonds and gold and jewels of truth right here that can give you confidence and direction and power and witness and influence like you won't find anywhere else. Now tell me tonight, what are the implications of those valuable things in your life? We marvel sometimes at people that have such direction, such purpose, such accomplishment, such confidence. All that's available to you right here. And when you find what God wants you to do, 
and you begin to do it and you see God working through your life, doing things you couldn't accomplish on your own, touching people and, and, and making a difference for all eternity. Hey, I'm telling you, there is something that comes about in your heart, in your life. There's something that stirs you. There's something that comes on you and goes with you. Uh, there's something that guides you from that point uh, like, like nothing you can find anywhere else. You can't find it at the doctor's office or the pharmacist. You can't find it on the, on the television screen. You can't find it in the headlines. Uh, you can't find it uh, in the counseling chair. You can't find it in the schoolroom uh, or, or the classroom desk. You're not going to find it in an encyclopedia or on the Internet. But you'll find it in the Word of God if you take the time to seek and find the Lord in here. When you find Jesus in the pages of this book, the truths that you discover will equip your life to do all the stuff that you don't even think is possible on your end. And it's not. It's only possible when God takes His rightful place in you and when you use the Word of God the way He intended in your life. That's when it's possible because then you partner with God and he makes up all the difference. And that's why Paul said, I'm going to glory in my weakness because when I'm weak, I'm strong. Why? Because Christ is making up all the difference. Because then he shines, then then he leads, he works, he rules. And it's good. Oh, listen, that's good stuff right there. Called to be saints. Well, look, that's not it tonight. Let me give you another name, something else God called us to be. Let's live up to our name tonight. Turn with me to John chapter 1. The Bible says in John chapter 1, look with me at verse number 12. In John 1, 12 it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to be the what? To become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. Now, what word is not, said, is not uh, spoken, but it is implied? It's the word all. All of them that believe on his name are, are what? They're the sons of God. When you receive Christ as your Savior, you were born into the family of God. John chapter 3 talks about that regeneration being born from above. Jesus said, You must be born again. Well, when we are born again, we're born into the family of God. And verse 12 says we're given power or authority to be declared the Son of God. That's why we can say, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Is it presumptuous to say that? No, because I've been saved by the grace of God. And the Bible says that God made me an heir, a joint heir with Jesus, a son of God. God put that name on me. I didn't take it upon myself. And what does it mean to be a son of God? It means part of a royal family. Oh, listen, if we're part of a royal family tonight, hey, we need to live like it. We we need to let our lifestyle and our actions show it. Remember the song we used to teach the kids? If you're saved and you know it, then your life should surely show it. Oh, that should be true of us. Those of us who are sons of God and we're part of God's family... We should be led by the Spirit of God. Look at Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> Look at Romans 8 and then verse 14. We were in chapter 8 a moment ago, looking at other verses. 
The Bible says in verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The word Spirit there is capitalized. That's implying that's the Holy Spirit we're talking about, the Spirit of God, right? And God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit. That is so crucial. Now look, if you don't spend time in God's Word, if you're not regular in your communion with Him, if you haven't practiced, then you're not going to know what it's like to be led of the Spirit. You're not going to know when it's your spirit saying something or God's spirit saying something within. I recently had a moment like that where I had an idea. And I have to stop and analyze. Wait a minute. Is, is, is God telling me that? Or am I telling me that? I don't know about you. I've tried to be very cautious about that. We started our uh, ministry out years ago. And one of the places we went early on was in Georgia. And, and in that little community there... There were some people, not in our church, but in another place, they were, they were very flippant about saying, God told me this, and God told me that, God told me to tell you, and whoo, <laughs> wait a minute. How many of you know God's been blamed for some horrible stuff, right? I think that's pretty close to blasphemy right there, right? Don't say God told you unless he really did. You're just dragging the name of the Lord in the mud, right? Well, we saw that happen a lot. We saw God's name connected to some activities that we know weren't of God because they didn't look anything like what the Bible talks about or the Christian life's supposed to look like or the Lord Jesus Christ. And there were often times when we just looked at each other and said, whoa, the audacity to say God told me or God said or whatever, and then, and then to pull out something that goes against what the Bible teaches? Wow. Don't be fooled by those kind of shenanigans. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. There are false prophets, right? And the Bible says, by their fruit shall you know them. We need to be, we need to be paying attention uh, when people pull pranks like that. I'm not saying you should never say God told you to do something. Because obviously there are times when he does. I'm just saying you should know the difference. And give God enough respect to be accurate. So before you publicly proclaim God told you to do something, take the time to inwardly make sure that it was him. Amen? That's our responsibility. Don't be a false prophet. Speak right of the Lord and... And uh, listen, your practice identifying the Spirit of God leading you in life will help you gain insight and direction because you will know when God is leading you to do something, you will be able to ask for His direction and receive it when it comes. It'll, it'll remove doubt and confusion. It'll clear up all that fog and when God speaks then, it'll be plain, it'll be clear, like when Elijah came out of the cave and he heard the still, small voice of God. There was no doubt in his mind. God was speaking. Like when Moses stood before the burning bush, there was no doubt who he, in the presence, he was in the presence of God. And you know, you and I want to practice communing with the Lord in our devotions and in our heart and our prayer time so that we know when He speaks, we're led by the Spirit of God. That's one of the privileges that comes with being a son of God. But not only that, turn to Philippians chapter 2. 
Philippians chapter 2. And notice what else. Not just being led by the Spirit of God, but, but also living a righteous life. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, it says... Well, let's back up. Verse um, 13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. By the way, that verse just means the stuff that God wants you to do, when He does a work in your heart, you're going to want to do it too. You know, people are so afraid God's going to make them go to Africa as a missionary. Well, He might. But if God wants you to go to Africa as a missionary, I guarantee you at some point you're going to want to go. And if you don't want to go, that's a good indication God's probably not leading you there. Right? If your heart is in tune with His heart, it's, it's very rare that the two are going to conflict. Now, we know somebody in the Bible had a great conflict about that. That was Jonah. And wasn't it true? The real problem was his heart was not in tune with God's on that matter. If it had been, he, he wouldn't have had the trouble that he had. Right? So, we need to get in tune with God first. And then we find that He works in us to will, to want the same thing he wants. Why do you think you see a missionary who's so burdened for souls to be saved? Well, he's gotten his heart in tune with God. He wants what God wants. Now he wants people to be saved. Why? Because that's what God wants. And then not only that, but God now has led him by the Spirit to a certain area, to a certain place. Now they're, they've already picked it, and they're going to this place to preach the gospel. That doesn't mean God wants you to go there. God wants us also to be concerned about the souls of men, but he may have you just do it right here, right? That's just as important. Living a righteous life. Look at verse um, Philippians chapter 2. I, I got off topic. Sorry about that. For it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Why? Verse 15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Wow. Hey, you know what? It didn't take much for a light to shine when it's dark. You, you could just light a match, and you can see that from a long way off in the darkness. Have, have you noticed our world's pretty dark. It's pretty dark. Not too long ago, we, we, we compared it to a swamp. I think it's darker than that. I think there's, there's wickedness, there's evil lurking about. And once in a while, we, we see a raw glimpse of that, don't we? It's dark. So what does God want to do? Punch holes in the darkness by having us shine as a light in this world. How do we do that? Just by being godly. Notice what he says. Doing all things without murmurings and disputing. Well, first, getting your heart in tune with God. Right? Desiring what he desires. And having a good attitude. Not complaining. Not murmuring about it. Verse 15. Uh, then it says, uh, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Being blameless and harmless. Look, you know what... It, you can underline that word blameless, for example. You should study all this out. It's pretty good. But, but uh, think about it, being blameless. Being blameless, that's one of the pastoral requirements too. Did you know that? 
to be blameless. To be blameless doesn't mean that, you, that you've never had a falling out with anyone or you've never made a mistake or there's no problems in your past. It, it doesn't mean that you're stark clean and, and, and removed of, of any error. Well, if that were so, we wouldn't have any pastors. If that were so, we wouldn't have any people, right, to do this. Blameless means that you've settled all that. Right? You've made it right. You've settled it. You've done your part. It's, the dust has all settled. There's no looming accusation against you. Right? That's what it means to be blameless. Not that you've never had incident, but that you've, you've made those incidents right. Right? And if we do the right thing as believers, that'll happen every time. We, we can leave that behind. We can leave that kind of a testimony, that kind of a trail where we are blameless and harmless. Sons of God. What a great name. But not only that, the Bible calls us saints, sons of God. The Bible also calls us Christians. Look at Acts chapter 11 with me, if you would. I'm going to just kind of hurry through the rest of this. But I don't want to rush. I, I want to give it to you in time, but I want you to go away thinking about the names that God gave us. So look at Acts 11. In Acts 11, verse 26, look what the Bible says. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The disciples were called Christians, believers, those who went to church and lived by the Bible, right? That's all they were doing. They were teaching people the Bible. They were called Christians. And you know what? That's what the world would call us today. Oh, you're one of them Christians. That, you know, sometimes they have other names, Bible thumper or whatever, not, not so complimentary. What does the word Christian mean? It means little Christ or replica of Christ or copy it means you're like him, right? So, so tonight, we need to look in the mirror sometimes and say, hey, am I like Christ? Am I being conformed to the image of his son? Am I allowing the word of God to shape who I am? Do I make decisions based on what the Bible says is right or wrong and not just what's comfortable for me or what's convenient for me, what's easy to do? When we take on God's definition of life and when we make decisions on the basis of what the Bible teaches, then we're serving the Lord. Think about that. So a Christian is one who serves. It means to serve instead of being served. Right? So which end of the spectrum are you on? Are you serving or trying to be served? Notice what the Bible says in Matthew 20. Verse 28, it says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. And you know, as a Christian, we need to be one who is serving. So I want to ask you tonight, who are you serving? Who are you serving? I don't mean the person or the ministry. I'm, I'm thinking about, we just need to make sure our, our foundation is right. Are we serving self or are we serving our Savior? Right? Are we being ministered unto or are we ministering? We serve the Lord, obviously, by serving others. I'm not trying to focus on who we're serving, but ultimately who we're serving, either self or the Savior. 
Think about it that way tonight and answer that question. Not only that, a Christian is to serve instead of being served, but a Christian is also to seek the salvation of the lost. So I, I pointed out this morning the verse on our bulletin, Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his mission. And tonight, that's our mission. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, even so send I you. So guess what? We have the same task that he had. Now, we don't have to die on a cross in order to accomplish this. Thank the Lord. He did all that. He took care of that. He died so that we might live. So God wants us not to die for him, but to live for him. Now, in some cases, right? In some cases, there are those who become a martyr. They give their life, pay the ultimate price following God. And we thank God for them and their willingness to serve in in harm's way and do those kind of things. But for most of us, God's not expecting us to do that. He wants us to live. Let's put our focus on living for God and accomplishing the things God wants us to do in our life. So tonight, who are you serving, self or the Savior? And then ask this question, who are you witnessing to? It says to seek the salvation of the lost. What are you doing to help people come to Christ? What are you doing to help that? Boy, all of us need to be busy doing something to have our part in some way. One of the things that I've learned as a pastor and one of the things that I've always tried to implement is this. I know that in a a church setting like this, not everyone is going to be what we would call a soul winner. Not everyone is going to be, we also would call them maybe a speaking partner. You're not somebody who's going to go up and, and, and conversationally confront somebody, right, and, and give them the gospel. Some people like that. Some do it even though they don't like it. And then some will never do that. And, you know, we have to, we have to be okay with that. So early on, as a growing young pastor, I had to, I had to decide, how am I going to approach this, this problem? I realized it was never going to change. This is how people are. God wants everybody to be involved in this process of seeking so that people can be saved. And then it hit me. I thought, yes. Okay, so here's what we need to do. We need to to expand our focus a little bit from soul winning to outreach so that everyone can have a part in outreach efforts doing something to be a part of this process of people being brought to Christ for salvation. Because not everybody's going to be that verbal speaking partner. So, so we have to make room so that others can get involved, right? What are they going to do? Well, they might be on a prayer team, and they might be praying for specific people. I'm talking calling their name out to the Lord. They might be on a prayer team. They, they might be on a, on, a, on a gospel literature team is what I called them in one in one setting, where, where they were the team who, who packed all of the packets of information. They put all the tracks together. They organized all the materials. Our children's group would go and hang them on doors in the community. Our teenagers would have packets and gospel tracks ready to go pass them out and talk to people. Right? But there was somebody that had to put all that together and organize that. I had some other people who uh, would take on a map and they would highlight the streets that we had been to and keep track of the neighborhoods where we had uh, been out and talking about the Lord. So we wouldn't be going to the same places over and over and over, 
right? We could go to other places so that those people could hear too. And then we had other people who were just being friendly and out in the community and just inviting people to church. And they didn't have to worry about memorizing all those verses and getting scared to death trying to talk to somebody, uh, you know, and give them the plan of salvation. And they didn't even know how to give it. So we just said, hey, don't worry about that. Just go meet people and talk to them, right? Find the ones that are interested and bring their name back with a prayer request. And then we'll send the person who likes to be the soul winner. And they can go talk to that person that said, yeah, you know, I would like to know more about that. What am I saying? I'm saying, hey, there's a part for everybody. There's something for us all to do. Let's, let's find a way. Let's find what we can do, and let's get into the Lord's work. I like what Brother Hoven used to say. Hey, there's a war going on. He said, if you can't shoot, carry bullets, do something. It's pretty good. To seek the salvation of the lost. Well, we have another name in the Bible. Two more, actually, and I'm going to wrap it up with, the, with these two. Look at Matthew 16, would you? In Matthew 16, verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And I preached on that recently, the definition of a disciple. But what is he calling us? He's calling us there disciples. What is that? A disciple is a pupil or an apprentice. These are just definitions. A a disciple is one who receives on-the-job training. A disciple is, as we've talked about before, a true follower, not just someone in the crowd. We would call them a fan. They're not just fans, but a disciple is a follower of Jesus. Somebody's trying to live out, learn and live the teachings of Jesus. Hey, for them it's real. Jesus said to his disciples, Hey, would that, be, would that be you tonight? Are you a true follower of the Lord? Are you, are you really trying to live out what you learn in the Christian life? Are you, are you giving your effort to that? Or are you just floating along? Just good questions to think about. And then lastly tonight, Romans chapter 6. We're called saints, sons of God, Christians, disciples. And lastly, let me give you this one. We're called servants. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 22. <clears throat> Paul writing again says, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Think about that. Now he's not talking about living a holy life in order to be saved. He's saying doing it because you are saved. You've been saved. So, hey, now you're the servant of God. And, And so how do we serve him? One way we serve him is by living a holy life. In the Psalms, it talks, it talks about worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Look that up. That's a great way to express that. God looks at those who live a holy life, and he says, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. Your actions reveal who you're serving. You're a servant tonight. So is it self or is it Savior? Who are you serving? Hey, tonight you're a saint. What about that distinct quality of life? Tonight you're a son of God, part of a royal family, led by the Spirit, living a righteous life. Tonight you're a Christian, a little Christ, or one who is like Jesus, to serve instead of being served, and to seek the salvation of the lost. Tonight you're a disciple, a pupil, an apprentice, one who receives on-the-job training, a true follower. 
Tonight you're a servant. The goal of Christian maturity is that our lives be a true reflection of who we are in Christ Jesus. Tonight we have the, we have the calling, we have the challenge of living up to our name in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Wow, what a verse. You know, if you believe that verse, and you have Jesus on your side and the Word of God under your arm, hey, then technically, you can't fail. Now you, now you will fail. Because you're human. And because you're weak. And sometimes because we're inconsistent. And we get away from things that we should, like the Word. And sometimes we're, we're not strong as we ought to be. And, and we forget to pray, right? And seek the Lord's guidance. We, sometimes we don't listen to that Spirit of God that's trying to guide us. Sometimes we miss opportunities. Hey, that being what it is, though, tonight, are you living up to your name? Are you trying to serve the Lord? Are you, are you cooperating with the process of God to conform you into the image of His Son? Tonight, let's live up to our name. This is the Christian's calling. So let's fulfill that tonight. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, how we love you tonight, how we thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, your word just reveals the wonder of what you see in us. Lord, we look in the mirror tonight, we, we, don't, we don't see all that. We don't see the potential, the capability. We don't see the power to overcome. We, we, we don't see that kind of victory, that spirit. Oh, help us, Lord. Help us to get our heart first in tune with yours. Lord, that we might will, that we might want what you want. And then that we may begin to do that good pleasure to find and serve the will of God in our life. And as we make tracks in that direction, Lord, that's when we're going to see all of these things. We're going to see glimpses. And those glimpses are going to grow. The more and more we practice, the better we become at listening and learning and growing and serving. And so, Lord, by your help, we pray that you'll help us to become all that we ought to be in Jesus Christ, that we might live up to our name tonight, the names you gave us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.